Hey guys, welcome into the Faithful to the End podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. Here you'll find easy access to all of Pastor Dave's sermons and even guest speakers at Graceway Church of Michiana. At Graceway Church of Michiana, we preach expositionally through the scriptures as we feel this is most consistent with the author's original intent in writing and yields both biblically and contextually accurate interpretations. At this time, we would invite you to grab your Bibles as we dig in to the Word of God. My mother sometimes tells a story from long ago of one of her sons who sought to provide a lovely gift for her. It was either for Mother's Day or for her birthday. Either way, this this gift would include breakfast in bed along with freshly brewed coffee. This soon-to-be favorite son, who will remain unnamed, popped the bagel in the toaster, put new water in the coffee machine, turned it on, and before long was proudly walking down the hall to deliver the warm breakfast. As my mother began to take the first sip of coffee, she suspected that something was off with her caffeinated beverage. As she went to investigate the coffee machine, she very quickly realized that one very important step had been skipped in the process. The coffee grounds had failed to be replaced and her drink was brewed with yesterday's coffee grounds. In a somewhat similar fashion to this young boy trying to provide a loving gift to his mother through his own way, tonight we're going to see how to have access to Jesus, the good shepherd, and Jesus, the door. There's only one correct way. If you recall, several years ago, for those of us that were here in February 2019, almost four and a half years ago, we went through the book of John. It it took maybe two, almost three years or more to get through that, that very large book, if you recall. And so to, to work through the passage that we'll be working through today, John chapter 10, I figured since there are definitely some new faces since 2019, it would be very beneficial for us to review the book of John, get some of the high points from that book, because it's going to be very important uh, for where we step into the chapter today. So if you recall... John is writing this book to prove to us that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and that Jesus is God. Even from the first verse, he says, the word became flesh, of course, the word being Jesus, and dwelt among us. Unlike the other gospel writers, he's not trying to keep it a secret. He's not keeping it a mystery from the readers, but right from the outset, he's being very upfront with us. So that's something very important to keep in mind. And throughout, the, throughout this book, he uses three different elements or three different ways to communicate to us, to prove to us that Jesus is God. The first of those three ways, and this is all, all kind of review building up towards what we'll look at in John chapter 10. The first way is signs, or more commonly known as miracles. Jesus performs these throughout the early portion of the gospel to really cement the fact that he is truly God. Some of those miracles include include turning the water into wine, healing countless people. Of course, last week, and I'll I'll reference more of Micah's message last week with the blind beggar being healed, providing food to thousands upon thousands of people, including the 5,000 plus the, the women and children, countless miracles that Jesus performed to prove that he was God. Second, we have witnesses which the witnesses were people that came into contact or interacted with Jesus, ultimately became his followers, and then were used to spread the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout, the, throughout Israel, throughout the location, throughout this area. 
And one of such witnesses that, that came to mind as I was looking through this chapter was the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, as Jesus reveals himself to the Samaritan woman. And in, in a little bit of their conversation, starting in verse 25, she says, Jesus is asking her about how she believes one is to worship. Of course, she says, we worship here, the Jews worship in Jerusalem. Then Jesus said, says, there's going to be a time where you worship in spirit and in truth, not necessarily in a specific location. And then she says to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, and he will tell us all things. To which Jesus responds, I who speak to you am he. And I can only imagine in that moment, which of course we know that she truly believed that he was Messiah, as she went out and became a witness herself to the city in Samaria, and to think that Jesus interacting with this woman at a well, who of course in the culture it would have been uncommon for a man to speak to a woman, especially someone he didn't know, on top of the fact that she was a Samaritan, who as we know they were looked at as half-breeds, half-Gentile, half-Jew, and the Jews no doubt looked down on them. And even in, in her interaction with Jesus, she admitted, you're a Jew, why are you talking to me? But yet Jesus in his grace decides to reveal who he truly is to her. And of course, by God's grace, she believes. And she becomes a great witness for Jesus. So we have our signs. We have our witnesses. The final element that John uses are statements from Jesus himself. Teachers during this time, it was most common or, or essentially what everything that they believed or everything they said hung on was the words themselves, not necessarily what other people told about them, but people followed you because of what you said, maybe even more so than what you did. So these statements about Jesus, which are very commonly known as the I am statements, are all throughout the book of John, and there's several of them that two of them we'll look at in more specific detail that are in chapter 10. But just to summarize and kind of build the summary of the book of John, we're going to go through each of those uh, relatively quickly today. And of course, reminding you that Jesus used these statements to prove to those that were listening to him and to us today that he is, in fact, God. He is Messiah. And I also want you to keep in mind the, the dichotomy or the, the duality between what Jesus says about himself with these statements on top of what these statements actually looked like in action. And we'll very specifically see those with the two today, but even which, with each of the ones that we look at, it's, it was fascinating to me as I was looking through this and seeing, for instance, the first one in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. In this passage in chapter 6, it's in the midst of, you probably guessed it, the feeding of the 5,000. The, the Jewish people... Even the, the disciples themselves were kind of trying to figure out how are we going to feed everyone, uh, the people, how are we going to eat any of this food that's not here. They, they honestly had no idea where it was going to come from. And of course, in the midst of that, he performs this amazing miracle and feeds them. And then the next day, of course, we know they kind of come back because they got a free meal yesterday. Chances are we going to get another free meal today. But Jesus teaches his disciples saying that this, this food here is temporary, that you're receiving here is temporary. You're going to need it the next day and the next day. It will never truly satisfy. But I, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. And he is the one that truly fulfills the hunger of our spiritual needs. So that, that's the first statement, is the bread, I am the bread of life. The next statement, which supports Micah's uh, passage yesterday, I am the light of the world. And it was actually the chapter before chapter 9, so in chapter 8. 
He's talking about how he is the light of the world. And then, of course, in chapter 9 that Micah and us looked at last week, Jesus proves to those there that he truly is the light of the world because he's bringing light to the beggar's eyes, giving sight. Third, well, third and fourth, these next two is the ones we'll look at today. Jesus saying, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. The door being the, the pathway to life. Also connected to in a later in another I am statement, I am the way in chapter 14, speaking to his disciples. But I am the door. Kind of with a, with a silly illustration or story that I, I gave at the beginning. There's only one way to make proper coffee. And that one way was not followed and it wasn't very enjoyable. In a, in a similar respect, a more serious respect, there's only one true way to Jesus, to salvation. And of course, that is through Jesus himself. And then further in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. Christ is our shepherd. For those of us who are a part of his flock, for those of us who have accepted his gift of salvation, he is our shepherd. And like I said, we'll look into that a little more today about how, what a shepherd really does, how they interact with the sheep. And I think you'll, you'll find it fascinating and truly encouraging. On to the next one. I'm the resurrection and the life in chapter 11. In chapter 11, of course, is when Mary and Martha, they called out to Jesus uh, through a messenger or however they, they went about that. Lazarus was sick. He was very close to death at that point. So they sent word to Jesus to get him to come back, hopefully to heal Lazarus. Of course, we know he did not come at that time. But Lazarus, and then, then Lazarus had subsequently passed, which then in this in this, even before he even healed Lazarus, he said, I am the way, or no, pardon me, I am the resurrection and the life, signifying that subsequently to that, he would prove how physically he is the resurrection of the light and the life. And of course, we know that he is also spiritually the resurrection and the life for us today. The second to last I am statement, which I alluded to, is I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's kind of a culmination or a, or a summation of the way being the door, the truth, or the light of the world, the truth there, and then the life being a kind of a summation of the resurrection and the life, which this was, of course, when he was speaking and teaching his disciples in one of those private moments. And then lastly, in chapter 15, to sum up the I am statements, Jesus referring to himself as the true vine. Of course, as we know, if, if you have a vine or any type of plant, even, even a human, that they have a central nervous system that is very, very important to the operation and the function of a body or a spinal cord even. Without that central system, there is no life. There is no support. There is no operation whatsoever with the plant. If you want to get rid of a dandelion, you don't rip the top off. You go for the root. You go for that central vine and you pull it out. And that, that's where the life is. So Jesus signifying that he is the true vine. He is our true source of life. And as we worked through John several years ago, the, the real culmination before the end of the book is in, uh, can be really sum, summarized in chapter 20, verse 31, when John writes, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And the question for us today, which if, if you were there, you remember, I believe a pastor had the picture where it said, Do you believe? Question mark. Each week, John would show something to us in his passage that he gave about what he saw from Jesus. And, and each week we were questioned, do you believe? 
based on what John is showing us, do you believe what is being presented? And I hope that today uh, we all here truly believe what Jesus has to say about himself. Will you believe these signs, these witnesses, these statements about Jesus that he makes about himself? And then ultimately, how is that impacting your life from day to day? So that's kind of a, a very high eight-minute flyover of the book of John. Of course, very incomplete, very, very high level. But then as we, as we work into our passage here today, and, and I couldn't help but chuckle as, as Pastor was going through Acts this morning, and he kind of halfway through titled his message, Salvation is Through Jesus Christ by Grace, or something along those lines. Basically, salvation is only through Christ through grace. And if I could put a title for this passage here, it would literally be the same exact thing. Salvation is through Jesus Christ by grace. And I think you'll see that here this week. So to set the the scene of this specific chapter, I think it's also important to give a little bit of a summary uh, of what Micah gave us last week. He did, of course, a great job going into detail about that whole chapter and the interaction with the Pharisees. But prior to chapter 10, of course, we know that the, the chapter marks and chapter breaks aren't inspired. Uh, it's not signifying there's a complete shift in the, the timeline. We're skipping hours or, or months or weeks ahead. This is actually happening right after last week's chapter. So I thought it was a great opportunity to kind of continue what Micah had started last week and build on top of that. Uh, so as we can see where Jesus was really going with that. Because as we know... And uh, in reference to last week, we had the, the blind man. Of course, we had four different groups of people. Three of them started out the story blind. We had the blind man himself, who was physically and spiritually blind at, that, uh, at the beginning of the story. The second group of people, the disciples, who were physically could see, but at that time spiritually blinded by their own perceptions. And then the third group of people were the Pharisees. Of course, uh, the Pharisees, the unbelieving Jews, were also blind. And it's, it's very ironic in a way that only one of those three groups of people came out of that story seeing, and it was the blind man, which is just, it's, it's very ironic. It's funny how, sometimes funny, how, uh, how Jesus works that way uh, in how he works here. So we have the blind man who sees both physically and spiritually by the end of the, story, end of the story, the blind disciples, the blind Pharisees. And that brings us to chapter 10 here today, where Jesus is continuing to talk to, to those who are listening, specifically talking to the Pharisees, talking to his disciples. And you may be wondering, some of you may be wondering why he, he tells a story. This is a fairly, fairly, fairly excuse me, familiar Section Jesus referring to himself as the good shepherd. But if, if you're familiar with this, the time frame we're at here, we know that Jesus had only begun speaking, or from this point and prior moving forward, Jesus only spoke to the Pharisees and unbelieving Jews in parables. And we'll see that even in verse 6 of our chapter here today. But it really started in Matthew 13, where the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? To which he continues saying that the information uh, has been given to the disciples, but not to the Pharisees, uh, seeing that they do not see. So at the end of chapter 9, 
the verse we see where Jesus says to the, the Pharisees, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Just the irony of the Pharisees actually being blind, but claiming to see. Just to imagine if a blind person was who had never been in this building before is walking around stumbling, and you're asking them, if, you know, is everything all right? And like, oh, no, no, I'm fine. I can see. I can see. But they're very clearly blind. We would almost laugh in a sad sort of pity, pitiful way. But in the same sort of way, the Pharisees are claiming to see when, in fact, they are very, very blind. And Jesus, for this way, just is kind of giving them over to their own blindness as they have refused to turn from that. So he uses parables as a way to still communicate truth, but only for those who are willing to see the truth. And even in this, in this passage, we still have the blind Pharisees questioning uh, because they think, of course, they think they can see and we know that they cannot. All right, now the, there's, there's your full-on summary. We'll, we'll get into the passage now. Uh, John chapter 10, and we'll read through verse 6. Truly, truly... I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold, but by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door of the shepherd is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then once again, as I alluded to at the beginning, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Right off the bat, Jesus uses this phrase that we, some of us may be familiar with, truly, truly. This was actually a, a law phrase or a phrase that was used in court of law for somebody who is testifying on behalf of, of someone else. They would come along, being a verified witness, they would come along and say, truly, truly, what this person is saying is true. Therefore, you can trust it. You can believe it. However, Jesus being God doesn't need someone else to come up alongside him and verify what he's saying. So Jesus is, in essence, verifying, affirming, or confirming what he is saying, that what I'm about to tell you is true. You can trust it. And of course, we, we can, can trust it because of what we know about Jesus and who we know that he is. And those that were listening, they would have known that. They would have realized what he was implying when he was saying this, especially the Pharisees and the lawyers and scribes. Moving on, we have, throughout this section, we have a couple groups of individuals that Jesus points out for us. The first one is the shepherd himself. And of course, very obviously, this is Jesus referring to himself as the shepherd we can think in, even into the Old Testament, and, and as, as Simon mentioned today, Psalm 23, I had in my notes, he, he did not know that, but the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus himself being referred to as our shepherd. Very clear, obvious reference by Jesus himself. Next up, we have the sheep. And as we work through this passage, uh, we'll, we will see that the sheep are referenced to the people of God. And actually more specifically, in this first paragraph, it's the Jewish people that, have, or that are following and believe in Messiah. And of course, later in this passage, into verse 16, which unfortunately we won't get there tonight, 
there's a reference to another flock that's not in this flock that Jesus will bring in. And of course, that's reference to us as Gentile believers, the secondary flock, because the Jews, the bulk of the Jews chose to not believe. Jesus brought us in, of course, this morning. A very detailed explanation of that was always the plan. And as I was, once again, uh, pastor going through this this morning, it made me chuckle uh, that I had been looking at this earlier this week and seeing the connection of the Jerusalem Council and how they were deciding, and ultimately decided, yes, the Gentiles are part of the believers. They are true believers. And I can only imagine in that instance when they finally decided that maybe Peter leaned over to one of the other, other disciples and said, remember, remember back a couple years ago when Jesus was telling that story about the other flock that was being joined in? I think he was talking about this. It's just fascinating all the, you know, as the Holy Spirit brings stuff to us years later, even it's fascinating to me to think, while it's not actually written in, in Acts, it wouldn't surprise me if, if, you know, Peter got a kick out of that, like, we probably should have saw that one. It was, it was a little, it was right there. But unfortunately, we won't get to that today, but I, I had to mention that little, that little tidbit there. The third group of people are the thieves and robbers which this would refer to any individuals that seek to harm the flock. They're not, they're not a true member by any means of the flock. And they, as is mentioned in this passage, they seek to go around the door, not entering in the way uh, that is prescribed by the shepherd here. And of course, lastly, which isn't mentioned in this uh, verses 1 through 10 that will work this morning. We do have the gatekeeper, uh, which isn't referenced or specifically brought up until verse 12. Uh, but the, the gatekeeper was an under-shepherd. He was hired by the shepherd uh, to guard the flock at night. And uh, Kim, I, I sent her a picture, so if you could put that picture of what a flock or what a, a sheepfold would look like during this time the, the people would have known exactly what Jesus was describing as it was a very common job to be a shepherd. So here we have, this is actually from, I believe the city was called Mikshak, which is between Bethel and Jerusalem. So it's kind of obviously in the countryside. But we can see they're, they're kind of using the natural formation of the hill as this is a, a pretty hilly countryside. They're using the natural formation. And you can very clearly see here that these rocks have been placed in the sort of a wall with there only being one entrance and one exit to the sheepfold. So very obvious, if someone's trying to jump down from above, jump over, they are most likely not very welcome in the sheepfold. And so this is, I wanted to give you all a good picture of an actual sheepfold from Israel because I want us to understand this is what those people listening would have pictured in their minds. I think it's very important for us to think of, of the same, uh, same type of scenario here. Also something to note, and uh, commentators confirm that this is essentially what a sheepfold would look like with the rocks uh, built up to form a barricade and then only one entrance, one door. And also something to note, which does come up uh, later in this, I think in verse... Three, there, are, there would very commonly be multiple flocks in one sheepfold. Three to four even, 
as there were, wouldn't have been very many structures like this, so they would have been open to, uh, if one person built it, they would outsource it to several different flocks or maybe use several different sheepfolds for their sheep. So it wasn't uncommon to have multiple different flocks in one sheepfold, which is very important when we get into verse 3. We're continuing to work through. We have the reference of Jesus to the shepherd, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And then through, moving into verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he leads them out. As I mentioned, different sheepfolds would have up to three to four different flocks in, their, in one sheepfold, and the shepherd had the ability to call out to his sheep and they, whether it was a special call sign or sound or just merely the tone in his voice, the sheep individually would know exactly the voice of the, their specific shepherd and would come to their shepherd. They would respond to his voice. And then even into verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. I think it's also important to to differentiate between American or current day shepherds, or maybe we'd call them cattlemen, cowboys, cattle drivers, herdsmen, where they would drive a herd from behind when they're working with those large beasts like cows or cattle. They have to kind of corral them and push them forward. Whereas we're getting a very, very different picture here. In this region and time, the, the people would have known that shepherds, and as, we're, as it, Jesus describes here, the shepherd goes out of the door first, calls the sheep, and they follow him from behind. The shepherd is the one choosing the path. The shepherd is the one finding sustenance for its sheepfold, looking out for danger. Of course, as you can imagine, a, a sheep is a lot shorter than, than the shepherd. The shepherd can kind of get a good survey of the land, see where the good spots are, to lead the, sh- the sheepfold, see where the bad spots are. Maybe there's, it can see a threat ahead, whether it's a wolf or any sort of individuals like thieves or robbers that we have referenced here. And I think kind of in the same respect, sometimes we can, as, as Jesus' sheep, we can kind of get things slipped around and think that, no, we, we can see, we can see more than we think we can. We can see high above, even though we're, you know, way down here. We think we can see up beyond have a good idea of threats, have a good idea of what's ahead, when really it's quite very much the opposite, where Jesus is the one who can see all. And of course we know that, but sometimes when we get into our daily living, it's very, very easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that the shepherd is the one that controls the security. The shepherd controls provision. The shepherd, and as we get to the next section, controls the door. And also, I want to point out that the shepherd, or how quickly the sheep respond to the voice of the shepherd. How quickly do we respond to the voice of our shepherd when he calls out to us, whether it's to to make a change in our lives or to guide us somewhere else? Maybe we think, oh no, there's, there's greener pastures over there, when really the shepherd is guiding us where he knows we need to be. How quickly do we respond to the voice of our shepherd. Moving on to verse 
5, actually before we move on to verse 5, I want to show the first video. So as I was researching sheep and, and finding that, that picture, I also thought it would be fascinating to see how quickly do sheep really respond to the voice of the shepherd. So we'll show the first video here of a, of a semi-modern-day shepherd and how quickly those sheep respond. And I want you to notice how foggy it is. And now regardless of the fog, the sheep respond. <laughs> you can kind of hear them. So as you can see, the sheep, they respond relatively quickly to their shepherd, even in the midst of the fog, in the midst of maybe slight storm and rain, they know the sound of their shepherd and they're able to come because they know he has the food, they know he has the provision, and they know he has the security. So I thought, I thought that was very fascinating. And I've got one more video to show, not quite yet. We'll, we'll get to through verse 5 and 6. But in verse 5, uh, we see a stranger they will not follow, but they will free, flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And this ties back to the first verse where Jesus points to the thieves and the robbers that exist in this story. And of course, the thieves and the robbers here being the Pharisees, the unbelieving Jews, those that would seek to tear the sheep away from their shepherd and do harm. And even in our own lives, how often are we distracted by other voices, other strangers that would seek to pull us away? Maybe it's, it's someone that we thought we could trust or something or something in our life that is kind of pulling us away. Maybe not a person, uh, but a thing or an activity that, that we're in that Maybe it isn't even a bad activity, but it's just something that slowly is pulling us away from our shepherd. And how, to me, it's, it's truly convicting to think about all the things day in and day out that pull us this way, pull us that way. And just keeping, kind of keeping in mind, being cognizant of how, how that is affecting our relationship with our shepherd, who is the only voice that we should truly be listening to. And then to round out this section with verse 6, the figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Uh, at this time, the Pharisees said they had been stuck in their way, ardently chosen to not follow Christ, and they would, as such, they would not have the benefits of understanding his teaching, understanding his revelation that was only given to those 
who had chosen to follow him and chosen to believe in him as we see in Matthew chapter 13. So before we move on to Jesus is the door, I have, we have another video that is showing, because I kind of thought, well, if we have, you know, maybe anyone, the sheep will listen to anyone who has food in their hands or just kind of calling out to them. So here we have a video where a couple different people trying to call out to the, the sheep and we'll see who they actually listen to. That was interesting to see how the stranger's voice they don't hear, but then the shepherd's voice they respond. To. Several of them looked up in a, in a in a flash and immediately looked up uh, at their shepherd. And once again, just thinking of the the connections to us as we are listening, as we are living our lives, what voices do we choose to listen to? What voices affect us, and what are we letting affect us? And are we truly listening to the voice? Of our shepherd. Moving on to verse 7, we have the second I am statement with Jesus saying, I am the door of the sheep. Once again, Jesus uses that truly, truly to affirm what he's telling the people he's listening to, whether it be the Pharisees or his disciples or his followers. He's affirming what he's saying, reiterating that truth. And he calls himself the door, which, which really echoes that other additional I am statement where he says, I am the way, as another I am statement. And as Christ states, there is only one way to have the truth and enter the flock. And of course, that is through Jesus. The only one way to enter through him, as he says in John fourteen six. Moving on to verse 8, we have, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And actually, we'll just read through the rest of the passage. Into verse 9, I am the door. Once again, he says that. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Of course, we see so many, these people are this. 
but I am this. The thieves and robbers seek to kill, destroy, but I come to bring life. And it is, it's fascinating as Jesus continues to point to, here's what the religious leaders of the day are trying to, trying to give to you, but here's what I have come to give you. And, and as many of them thought the Messiah was coming to give them political or social freedom, but no, truly Messiah was there to give them the freedom, the spiritual freedom that they truly needed, and the spiritual freedom that we certainly need. So back to verse 8, in, in reference to the thieves and robbers, all who came before, of course, Jesus, of course Jesus isn't referring to any prophet, any teacher, any religious leader that came before. As we know, there were many very good prophets, uh, religious teachers that came before him. But he's specifically referring to any religious leader prior and concurrently to him that have presented themselves as true spiritual leaders, as chosen vessels of God, whereas they, their true intentions are to lead the people in their own type of man-centered, selfish, selfish religion. These thieves and robbers would steal any opportunity for, of glory for themselves, and they, they truly have no interest in the security and the growth of God's people. And even as we are to be careful of our own congregation here, our own sheepfold here, even thinking to John's other writings, how, he, how much he emphasizes unity in the body, whether it's 1 John, 3 John, it is a huge emphasis for him as we've studied the unity within the body and ultimately expelling those from the body who would place themselves at the center. And of course, we see that same thinking here, which obviously, very obviously, originated from Jesus himself. And as John and Peter and, and all the, the New Testament writers are thinking back on the teachings of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit within them is reaffirming those truths, they're really applying and saying, oh, Jesus said this. Jesus said the sheepfold is to not have strangers, not have strange voices, not have robbers. So in the same way, if we experience that in the church, those people should be cast out of the church. And it's, it's just fascinating to see how Christ's teachings have been completely explored to all that we need in the New Testament. I, I thought that kind of connection and linking throughout the New Testament uh, was fascinating. On to verse 9, Jesus referring to himself once again as the door, saying that if any enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out. Many in the crowd would have known that shepherds at this time would have actually slept at the door. So in that picture that I showed you at the beginning, the shepherd would have slept there at night because there was no, you know, they didn't nail some hinges on those rocks or, or kind of make an actual door. The sheep, there, the shepherd would sleep there to protect the sheep with his own life. And they wouldn't even have, like I said, they wouldn't have an actual door. However, Christ, he is picturing himself as the actual door that was used to protect the sheep. As we look back over this passage, we can see that Jesus is picturing himself as the two most important things in a sheep's life. The shepherd himself, and then the door to protect the sheep, which ultimately allows them, as we see in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, it allows the sheep to go in and out. Sometimes we can think that when we truly give our lives over to the shepherd, over to Christ, we give up all freedom. We don't have any freedom uh, to do what we want, and it's, it's kind of a drudge, it's kind of boring. 
When in reality, when we give our lives over to the shepherd, we gain so much freedom in the ability to go in and out and find pasture. We have that ability to, be, to have provision from the shepherd, whereas the religious leaders of the day were essentially a noose around the people, binding the people in this man-centered, fake religion, trying to be the door, trying to be essentially the gatekeepers of what they thought to be truth, when in reality, it was, as we know, not truth at all. Once again, the religious teachers, they they thought they were the door, they thought they had ultimate control over the truth, when in reality, they were enslaving the people. And of course, Christ came to us to give us the ability to be saved through him, through the one way. And not just to be saved, of course. He didn't come just to save the people from the Pharisees. He came to save them from their sin. Of course, save us from our sin as well. So if we just, if we just think about it, all it takes to become one of the sheep is to walk through the door. That's it. It's, it's easy. But just the door... You can't go around the barricade. You can't jump over the top of the hill. You can't get in the way you think you need to get in. It's just through the door, as Jesus tells us here. And of course, in Jesus, we are free. He provides all of our needs, both physically, whether it's provision day to day, and of course, more importantly, he provides our spiritual needs, our spiritual salvation. The shepherd provides that for us. And then lastly, in verse 10, we once again see that that dichotomy, that duality of the thief, those that would come to steal, destroy, undermine Christ's authority or undermine the shepherd's authority. Jesus came to do the exact opposite of that. He came to give us life and not just give us life, but give it abundantly for all that would seek the shepherd, for all that would seek Christ. So as we conclude today, I have a couple of practical applications based on this passage. First, does the way you live evidence that Jesus is the shepherd and that Jesus is the door? Or Jesus is the door that protects your life and Jesus is the shepherd that guides your life? Secondly, are you actively aware and ensuring that you are not letting strangers thieves and robbers pull you away from following the shepherd. And as I was kind of thinking over how to, how to summarize these practical applications, it was, it was very con- convicting because to do that second bullet point, to be aware of thieves and robbers, it takes intentional living. This isn't going to happen by accident. If you think about it in your personal life, if you have a bunch of chores uh, to do at home, to-do lists, uh, at work, uh, in your marriage, in, in any sort of relationship, if you have things you need to get accomplished, it's not going to happen by accident. Even if you create the list, it's, it's still not going to happen by accident. It takes intentional living to work or to be, to exist alongside the shepherd and to truly follow his voice. It takes intentional living. So we as the sheep, for those of us who are in God's flock, for those who are a part of his sheepfold, I want us to make a commitment to make an intentional purpose to follow the voice of our shepherd.